Welcome to the STR Data Lab. Hello, and welcome to the STR Data Lab. I'm Jamie Lane, Chief Economist of AirDNA, and I'm here with Avery Carl, the CEO and founder of The Short-Term Shop. Avery, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. So I've been a huge fan of yours and of your group, your podcast, your book. I actually gifted your book to my brother-in-law that was interested in investing in a short-term rental. Uh, <laughs> so I'd been following you and your career for, for a long time. But before we jump in, I uh, wanted to just ask how your summer was going. I heard you were maybe just on this epic trip and you just got back. How's it been going? Yeah, it was awesome. So we do uh, two to four weeks, depending, in our motorhome every June. This year, it was a little on the shorter side, <laughs> but it was awesome. Uh, we went all through it. We always go across Texas and through the hill country because I lived in Austin for six years. We've got a bunch of friends there. And then we went um, up through New Mexico into southern Colorado, did a bunch of Colorado stuff. Normally, we go up to Wyoming. Mm -hmm. And if anybody finds a, uh, since we're on a data podcast, if anybody finds a Wyoming mountain town that, that makes sense to invest, I'm all ears because we want a place in Wyoming. Um, but yeah, it's been awesome. Awesome summer so far. That's great. So now you're back. You're located in, in North Carolina. Is that right? No, I'm actually in uh, 30A, Florida. So between Denton and Panama City. Yeah. Okay. Also a great place. I'm in Atlanta. We vacation down in 30A all the time. Uh, it's one of one of my favorite beach destinations. Oh, uh, yeah. We're, it's it's good. Not a long drive either. But can you maybe start with giving some background on the short-term shop and why you started it? How's it going? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I did not start the short-term shop because I said I want to be a real estate agent when I grow up. Kind of backed into it just like I kind of backed into being a real estate investor. Uh, we, we being my husband and I, had bought a couple of properties, one long-term rental in Nashville and one short-term rental in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. And we kind of realized during that time, we're like, man, nobody can really answer our questions on how to run this thing or how much it should make or anything like that. And um, I was getting in the process of getting my license anyway, just so I could represent us on our own deals. My husband is very much a New Yorker, which uh, can be difficult to deal with at times. So I was like, I'll, I'll just handle him so I can stop apologizing to real estate agents. So I was just going to do our deals. And over the course of time, like over the next year, people like our friends started saying, how much are you making on that cabin in the Smokies? Help me buy one. Teach me how to do that. And it just kind of organically grew from there. And then it was friends of friends. Then it was true people that we'd never had any contact with before that said, hey, uh, I heard if you help, if I buy one of these things with you, then you'll teach me how to do it. And so it just kind of grew organically from there. So we now have so we're a real estate agency, I should mention that, mm -hmm. uh, under the brokerage of EXP. And uh, now we have 70 agents in 20, maybe 19 markets, all vacation markets. So no metro markets with the exception of a couple, I call them vacation-ish metro areas. And um, if you buy with us, we not only help you find the right property and, and you know do all of that work, we also teach you how to manage it while you're still under contract. So by the time the closing date rolls around, you're not like floundering around with this $500,000 investment that you don't know what to do with. We've got you ready. You know how to set everything up. Your listings are ready to go and you're ready to just turn the key and rock when closing date rolls around. And do you find most of your 
buyers manage it themselves or they typically hire a management company? Most of our buyers manage it themselves. And I think that's just kind of by nature of how we grew. We do have more of them now that want to hire a management company. And I think it's just, you know, it depends on where you are in your investing career. Uh, people who are at the beginning usually want to self-manage so they can make sure they're getting every last dollar out so that they can go put that towards more properties. Whereas people who feel like maybe they're already have kind of hit their investment goals, they're more in cruise mode rather than growth mode. Those are the types of people that are like, hey, do you have any any management company recommendations? So a little of both, but mostly self-managers. That's great. And broadly, I find the investment market today to be probably one of the most interesting aspects of the short-term rental industry right now with what's happened with housing prices, interest rates, what's going on with revenues. Like, what are you seeing? What are you hearing from your agents in the, in the markets on sort of the health of the market and what's going on with people buying and selling rentals? That's a really good question. So what we're seeing is there's still a lot of people with money out there waiting to buy something. So they're mm -hmm. calling it shadow demand. There's been a few articles coming out on different real estate publications. One of them was uh, Real Trends recently about what's called shadow demand. And it basically is exactly what it sounds like. There's a lot of people out there. The demand is out there, but all everybody's just kind of waiting to see what's going to shift first, whether it's interest rates or purchase prices. Uh, they're mm -hmm. just waiting for one of those to shift a little bit and then they're jumping in. And we actually saw this recently. We did a little experiment because we had a, a veteran client of ours who's bought and sold a lot of stuff with us. And he said, I just really want to unload this. He, it was a new construction. I just want to unload this pretty quick because I found this other deal in another market that I really want to get my hands on. And mm -hmm. he was willing to take a much lower price than what the comps said. And we said, well, let's, let's not go that low. Let's just go like a few percentage points, maybe like five percentage points lower than the comps and see what we get. This is a million dollar property. So we just went a little bit lower and we got 13 offers the first day. Three of them were cash over asking on a million dollar property. So we're just waiting for like a little shift for people to jump back in and start buying a lot. But the other side of that is that a lot of sellers don't want to sell right now because they've got these low interest rates. And if they sell, then the next loan they have to get is going to be that higher interest rate. So we're kind of in this weird stalemate <laughs> of higher <laughs> sellers right now. Yeah. And it, it looks like, and when you look at available inventories, they're in some, most markets at all time lows, right? In terms of properties coming online. And then you look at the prices they're getting and it, it seems to be that prices aren't weakening too much. And what are you seeing in the markets that you guys uh, sell in? Are, are prices generally and, and keeping at the highs that they were at last year? They're coming down a little bit, but not a lot for the exact reason that you just said, that a lot of people don't want to sell until the interest rates go down some because they want to buy something else. But there are now, actually, we're seeing more of the distressed buyers who maybe did not run conservative enough numbers in 2021 and early 2022 or, you know, the people who just didn't realize like, hey, this is not just I'm going to buy this thing and slap it up on Airbnb and throw my phone in the trash for the rest of my life and lay on the couch. Like it is a business that you have to run. Uh, we're seeing some of those buyers want to get out. So we're seeing just a little bit of a shift with a few distressed sellers popping up. So for buyers in this market, it can be a really good opportunity if you can get through 
the current interest rate. So maybe that's holding, refinancing later when they inevitably go down. That, but you know, got to be careful there because that could be next year. It could be ten years. We don't know, right. or it might not at all. So there, but there's definitely some opportunity in terms of purchase price and distressed sellers happening. But again, the prices have not come down too terribly much, which is really interesting because I was expecting them to come down more than they have. Yeah. So, so broadly, it sounds like you're describing a market where affordability is the main issue in terms of the homes and purchase price plus interest rates, not necessarily the revenue that these properties are earning. Is that correct? Right, right. So what we've seen is we had clients buy properties two years ago at 20, 50, 100,000 over asking, but the interest rate was so low that now the same property that's significantly less expensive at a much higher interest rate is a higher monthly payment. So it's not that the house at the purchase price doesn't make sense. It's the house at the interest rate doesn't make sense. So we're not seeing in at least not a lot, a huge drop in, in actual revenue across our markets. Mm -hmm. We are with certain types of properties, but, um, and certain types of managers, but not an across the board, like Airbnb bust that people have been talking about. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, as we're as we're recording, there was a uh, recent viral tweet that went um, went, went out a, a couple weeks ago now, sort of proclaiming the the uh, demise of the industry and that it was going to cause a collapse of the housing market worse than the subprime housing crisis. Which <laughs> yes. I assume you you don't agree with. No, no, uh, that, <laughs> that was a little bit ridiculous. No, and I did after I I saw that, and then I saw Air DNA's response to it. Saw a few other data companies' responses to it. Went and looked at what our personal properties are doing. So we've got eight short-term rentals across, depending on how you slice it, four markets. I would call mm -hmm. it three, but so the Smokies, Destin, 30A, and then Cape Sandblast, Florida, and we're we were down, but 3.52 percent across the entire um, portfolio. So not seeing that 45% drop that that guy was proclaiming. Yeah. I did pull data on all the markets that you guys are in. So um, went through your, your list of 19 and and happy to share what we were seeing. But I, there are a few of the markets where we are seeing some pretty significant supply growth. And I was hoping to see if you could give the listeners some insight on why and the investment that you're seeing in those markets and sort of what type of buyers, what type of supply you see coming in. In the four fastest growing markets, all greater than 20% supply growth. So I'm pretty high for, for historically. And number one was Phoenix Scottsdale market. That's markets and been maybe poster child for high, high supply growth. They had the Super Bowl and we're, we're seeing like just over 40% growth. Number two though was Broken Bow Lake, uh, which great vacation rental market. I've Love seeing the growth in that one over the past couple of years. And then the third and fourth were the ones, you, two of the ones you just talked about where you had properties, one, the, the Forgotten Coast, sort of Cape San Blas area, and the other was Hill Country. So do you have any insight there on sort of any of those markets, like, and what's driving all that supply growth that we're seeing in those areas? Yes. So... In places like Cape Sandblast, so this is, I'm not talking about the Scottsdales right now. I'm talking about mm -hmm. Cape Sandblast, maybe like the entire Emerald Coast. 
So in really, really mature vacation rental markets like that, a lot of times that growth that is showing on the data that is measuring properties on Airbnb and Verbo, these are areas that have had these old school property management companies for decades and decades. And Cape Sandblast is a really good example. Part of the reason we bought there is like 90, every, everything there is a short-term rental, always has been a short-term rental. But still, most, the vast majority of the properties that are there are on these old school dinosaur management companies that don't list on Airbnb and Verbo. They think Airbnb is for hippies and college kids renting their couches to each other. And so a lot of that is not necessarily new listings, like new inventory. It's just the same inventory that's now measurable that wasn't. So if it's a market like that, that, that's probably a lot to do with it. In terms of a market like Phoenix, that's a big metro, you know, that present, I think a lot of investors are more comfortable with buying in a market like that because they think, oh, well, I can long-term it if it doesn't work or what have you. So in those types of markets, you really, I mean, in any market, but those especially, you really have to make sure that your decor and your amenities are way above everybody else. Like uh, Rob Abasolo, I was on the phone with him the other day. He added a pickleball court to his place in Scottsdale and it's like shot through the roof. So in a, a time where there's a lot of inventory in markets where there's a lot of inventory in a property that you already own, your decor and your amenities, which you don't have to add a pickleball court, but you could do something like one of our Panama City agents on our team the other day is adding a snow cone bar to her house. Uh, so it, it doesn't have to be this huge, crazy, expensive thing, but you do have to up your game in those bigger markets like that in terms of decor and amenities. And then also use the data that's available to you to see what bedroom counts are underserved in that market. So it's really more of a bedroom count gets, quote, saturated, I don't even like to use that word, uh, than an entire market because there's always going to be in any market a top tier and a bottom tier and a middle tier. And the top tier properties are going to keep making money. It's the middle tier and the bottom tier that are going to start losing that revenue to the top tier one. So you really have to, if you want to buy in one of those markets, make sure that you are a top tier property. And it's, it's really funny the way that this works, that the markets that have a lot of rentals are the markets that have a lot of tourism demand. And the markets that don't have a lot of rentals are the markets that don't really have a lot of tourism demand. So it's not anything to be scared of seeing listing growth like that. Uh, if you're going to be a sophisticated manager, there's a reason that a market would have a lot of rentals and it's because the demand is there and you just have to be one of those top tier listings to get it. Yeah. And I think the data supports that. You look at the changes in occupancy with that increase in supply and it was only down 3%. So even, and it's a, a topic we talk with people a lot about too of not necessarily new listings, but new inventory on Airbnb and Verbo that's driving a lot of the growth, driving a lot of the growth that we saw in 2016, 2017, 2018, as a lot of the large property managers that were maybe more sophisticated and getting on the sort of Airbnb Verbo channel game from the beginning. And now, yeah, we do see in quite a few of those markets, my family does a vacation in the Pauly's Beach area in South Carolina every year. And that one, Every single agent on that in that area, I feel like none of them are on any of the OTAs. And <laughs> they literally give us a price sheet uh, <laughs> when we stay on 
here's the prices for next year. You can go ahead and book. Uh, <laughs> and we have to bring our own sheet, which is another thing. Oh, wow, that, that yeah, really old school, which <laughs> I've actually heard a lot of random press pushback in the press of like, oh, these property managers are charging all these extras. Like one of this um, reporter was going to somewhere where they were charging extra for the sheets. I'm like explaining to them that this industry did not start with Airbnb. It did not start with Verbo. Many of these property managers have been around for 30, 40, 50 years. And these are the way their businesses have operated for that entire period. It's just the mainstreaming of the industry that's happening with more and more people discovering short-term rentals for the first time. And the industry's evolving and there's new people coming in and, and there's some growing pains that are happening. Are there any examples that you've seen of like growing pains or like challenges in the industry that new buyers, new owners are seeing as they get in and sort of realize what they're getting into? I think that over the past two years, we have seen some challenges because everybody in the world, when interest rates are 2%, wanted to be a short-term rental investor. And many of them did not need to be. These mm -hmm. were people who weren't really looking at it as a business. They're more like, oh, cool. Look, I can afford to get this vacation home and impress my friends with it. And I'll throw it on Airbnb in the meantime. And as they under learn to understand that is it is an actual business, it is probably going to interrupt your dinner at some point. It does hurt your feelings when a guest leaves you a bad review, no matter how seasoned <laughs> of a manager you are, you're like, no, it isn't. You're, you don't know, you know, in your mind, you have all these things you want to say and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry for your inconvenience. Um, <laughs> and they, they just didn't realize that it is running a business. So I think that's yeah. the biggest growing pain is people think it looks really glamorous because it is, I invest in all kinds of real, real estate and it is way more fun to go shop for a beach house than it is to shop for a 50 unit apartment building in Dallas or something. I have, you know, all the above, but it's always <laughs> going to be more fun to do short-term rentals. So it looked really fun to a lot of people and it is, but I think that just a lot of people weren't looking at it the right way. Yeah. So I know you've successfully helped a lot of people over these years. When you're meeting someone with, for the first time, getting a sense of their investment, and what do you tell people that are like the most important, important factors to consider when choosing a property? Well, their price range is going to be a big factor in determining which market they can go into. So for example, if it's under 500, it's going to be pretty difficult to find a single family in the Smoky Mountains. So first we get a sense of how much they want to spend. And then we say, okay, you know, here are the great places for that budget. And depending on what market it is, because we have, you know, different natural resources in every market, then we'll kind of give them a list. So if it's on the beach, for example, any of our beach markets, uh, if it's a condo, it needs to be on the beach. Typically, it, with a few exceptions, three bedrooms and under in beach markets will be condos. There's just not always a lot of uh, lower occupancy single families. And if it's a single family, it needs to be walkable to the beach. You don't want it to be drivable. You don't want somebody to have to get in their car and drive. Uh, and so depending on what market it is, we'll just kind of go through that way. And it'll be a little bit nuanced compared, I mean, market by market. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any big changes sort of in pre-pandemic to maybe today or even during the pandemic of like it was condos, one, two bedrooms in Destin, and now it's I'm four or five bedrooms in the Smokies. Like, I'm, what broadly are you seeing in terms of the trends on what make good investments um, today and how that's changed? Well, again, market dependent. 
over the past few years in all the markets, a lot more higher occupancy inventory has been built and coming online. Mm -hmm. So it used to be you wanted to get the most amount of bedrooms possible, and it still is the most amount of bedrooms possible, but now there's a lot more inventory coming on of higher occupancy things. And you really also want to make sure that you are setting yourself apart in terms of decor and updates. So, you know, I've been in the Smokies a long time. I've been in Destin a long time. And pre-pandemic, you could get away with having like laminate countertops and stuff being a little bit grandma or a little bit dated because, you know, so many people are coming here to these areas that it would get rented no matter what if it was in a good location. Now there's so many more sophisticated operators in all these markets that you do have to make sure your game is up. So if we ever have to like shut down a property for a day or two for a maintenance item, we make sure to knock out a couple updates while it's closed off. Uh, so our top performer in the Smokies up until 2020, it had blue laminate countertops and these really, really crappy, like it was almost peel and stick linoleum, like wood look floor and it stayed rented. So we just never bothered with changing it. Then we had a leak in a bathroom where we were going to have to change the vanity anyway. And we're like, you know what? We'll just change all this out. We'll do the floors, do the countertops, paint the cabinets a cute color. And so now that it would not rent the way that it did if I still had those. Like it would not have continued to perform well if we still had all that datedness in there. So you just have to make sure that you're knocking out a few updates here and there when you can uh, to make sure that you're staying with up there with the sophisticated operators. Because that's really more what you're dealing with than any less tourism demand or more inventory coming on the market, the better your competition is, the better you have to be. So it, it sounds like, and when you're helping someone evaluate a short-term rental investment, it's more so about the specific property and how you can sort of maximize revenues in that property than necessarily the market dynamics and like, and market occupancy going up 5% or down 5%. And that's less impactful than how you're going to market that specific property and the revenues that you're going to earn given the investments and amenities and furnishings and fixtures that you can sort of maximize ADRs and, and attract people to book your listing compared to competitors. Is that right? Right, right. Yeah. So we recommend uh, once you get the data, you're looking at your AirDNA data of and figuring out, say you're going to buy a four bedroom, like what range a four bedroom should do in your market, then we do what we call the enemy method at the short-term shop where you're looking at this property on Zillow on X Street. Well, you get on Airbnb or Verbo and zoom in on that little neighborhood and look at your enemies or your neighbors. Enemy is much more fun to say <laughs> that. So, um, and you're looking at, okay, well, here's the range for four bedrooms and here's 10 four bedrooms right here. So let's, you know, you're clicking on all of them and you're looking at finding the one that's most comparable to yours and how you can, looking at what their income is and how you can be better or maybe how you can't be better. Maybe how they have things that you will never have just in terms of you or something like that. Because you want to, and you, this part is really important because the data can't tell you that, like why a property is performing the way that it does. It will tell you what it's doing, but it can't tell you why. It can't tell you, oh, well, this person has really crappy pictures. That's why. Or this looks like my grandmother's like golden girls condo. And that's why. So you got to use the enemy method to kind of see where you might fall on that data spectrum mm -hmm. to figure out, you know, if, okay, yes, this property here is going to be a good one because all of the top properties have, all I have to do is add this certain kind of beach chair and this certain like kind of umbrella that pops and make sure that I'm 
um, make sure that I'm supplying a beach wagon or things like that. And you just go through and kind of look at everything that all the top performers in your area are doing and compare it to what your property is and can it, where it can be that and where it kind of can't. Yeah, no. And we talk through with people that find that sort of method all the time of, let's say you want to add in a hot tub or a pool or make this an investment in additional furniture of, I'm digging into the data. You got to find, and you know what you're earning, or maybe you know what a property that you're going to buy would earn. And then you can get a sense of what the earnings of those properties that do have that additional investment that you're going to look to make. And that can help you get comfortable with what that ROI is going to be. Because you're never going to find a perfectly comparable property to what you have, or maybe what you want to buy and understanding what their earnings are. But by sort of triangulating like, here's this group of properties and here's what they have. Here's this other properties with this enhancement that I want to do. And we can get, get comfortable with what that delta is and, and what that return is going to be for you. What, are the, what, are, what is the increase in generally in ADRs that you're able to get once you have these things that maybe you want to add to your property? Totally. A lot of the markets you're in, uh, you guys are, are selling into are in a lot of ways, I would say, typically dominated by large property managers. And with investors coming in and that you're working with, and largely, as you said, operating them themselves, do you see generally that they're able to be as competitive uh, in the market as the large property managers? And if so, what are they doing that's, that's making them competitive? Like, are, are there certain tools, certain aspects uh, to their process that you've seen have been helpful for people to then go in and compete with large property managers? Yeah, yeah. So we are seeing self-managers typically outperform the big property management companies. Uh, so for one reason, you know, the reason we already talked about that a lot of the property managers aren't properly optimizing really anything. For example, we stayed in Whitefish, Montana in a gorgeous condo for spring break this year. It was like two and a half million dollars. And this property manager had the same pricing for the entire year. Every single day it was the same price. So you're competing with that a lot of times where they're not optimizing things. And then when they, um, you know, are using all of the technology that they need to use, typically a self-manager is going to spend more time on their property, figuring out what the problem is. If there is a problem like, oh, crap, it's the middle of July and I don't have any bookings for August yet. Let me figure out what I need to do here. Whereas a, a larger property manager that has thousands of properties is just not going to spend that kind of time on one listing, especially if it's a smaller one. So um, typically we do see our, ours outperforming. It's really just because they it's their, their property that they own and they just care about it more and they have the time because they only have one, two, three, four of them rather than thousands to make sure that they're optimizing properly on each one. Yeah, that's that's great. And, and broadly, we see similar of one unit hosts, two unit hosts, like getting the best reviews across the board, sort of crushing their competition in terms of guest satisfaction, and then generally getting, and depends on the market, but higher occupancies and ADRs considering similar factors and similar type properties. So we're, we're getting towards the end and want to start wrapping it up, but want to give our listeners a, a chance to hear from you on maybe where you see the industry going. And yes, there's challenges now on the transaction market with high interest rates, with and maybe some and weakness, not a collapse in, in revenues. But generally from your seat, where do you see the industry going? How do you see it growing? How do you see it performing over the uh, next few years? I think there's still a lot of room to grow. I think it will continue at a steady 
upward trend. It's just not going to be as steep of a trend as it was two years ago. I think we had a lot of things happening at the same time that, that contributed to that. But I think what we're really seeing through all of it is just a settling in of short-term rentals as being an actual asset class. So when I started in 2016, if you went to a local real estate meetup and said to all these single family and multifamily long-term investors, hey, I'm investing in short-term rentals, they would laugh at you. Um, but now <laughs> they're like, oh, you know what? I think I need to add some of these to my portfolio. So, you know, we saw like a surge of early adopters and now things are kind of like settling in. Okay, this is an asset class. Not every single deal out there is going to be a 200% cash on cash return anymore because there's a lot more people that are investing a lot more, like I said, sophisticated operators. So you're seeing really, it's gotten kind of similar to buying multifamily. So when we go to buy a multifamily house, multifamily house, multifamily building, we're not looking for, because it doesn't exist, these deals laying around on the market that have these really, really high cap rates. Those don't exist. What you look for in multifamily is where's the deal you can buy that you can go in, make some updates, then raise that rent, and which will then raise your cap rate. Now it's kind of the same thing with short-term rentals. Like those 200% cash on cash return deals aren't laying around anymore. You're not looking for that now. You've got to look for the opportunity to get a property to, not to 200, that was just an arbitrary number, but you know, you're looking for the opportunity to buy a property that you can do X, Y, and Z to, to get it to that cash on cash return number that you want it to be at. So I think, like I said, it's just settling into being like any other asset class. Um, the gold rush is a little bit over, but that's good. You know, we need it to just be, let's just chill and, and be regular people and not be having to pay hundreds of thousands over asking just to be considered to get a property. Yeah. And, and that's some of the same advice I give people around. And if you think you're just going to and go to Zillow and find the best deals around, like the institutional investors out there now that have come into the short-term rental industry are feeding every middle, every MLS listing through products like Rentalizer to sort of estimate the revenue for that property. So you going through and doing them one by one, you're not going to find any deals that these large investors aren't already finding. Like it's, you've got to work with an agent, real estate agent to find the best deals for you, given the markets you want to be in and, and the improvements that you can make and maybe a repositioning of a property. I mean, you really have to dig in. It's not, you're just going to go on Zillow and find all these great deals and I'm going to make 200% returns. Right, right. So um, my one last ass is, uh, <laughs> and we can ball up after, is I am now <laughs> in the market for a short-term rental in North Georgia. Uh, oh, really? And hoping that you can, they, hoping that you can help. We can absolutely do that. <laughs> <laughs> we have, uh, family has quite a few short-term rentals. I'm up in here in Maine now um, that we operate, but looking for something that a little bit more close to home mm -hmm. and um, can use some, but also make sure I'm earning a healthy return on as well. And so assume that's something you can help me with. <laughs> yes, we can absolutely help you with that. We'd love to do that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Avery, Thank you so much. Can you let uh, listeners know where to find you and, and the short-term shop? Yes, we are at the short-term shop on all social media. Uh, if you want to be a client or anything like that, we've got a um, Q&A every Thursday, live Q&A with myself and Luke. You can get that at strquestions.com to sign up or just hit us on our website. It's theshorttermshop.com. Well, great. Avery, thanks again for joining. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.